With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the XCast X-Files Podwatch, episode 18, covering Red Museum and Excelsior Days. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and with me is expert writer and artist chris knowles how are you chris i'm doing great this is the first time we've actually had a chance to to sort of to talk because I, I i've read a lot of your stuff online um i've obviously read the complete x files and we've interacted a bit before through writing but this is the first time i've actually had a chance to sort of talk with you so this is actually a big thrill for me it's a pleasure to talk to you well like i said i'm a huge darren mooney fan so fan of your writing fan of your podcasts so pleasure is mutual like when it comes to the X-Files, we're both kind of interested in the mythology a great deal and sort of what, what Chris Carter did there. I think that when we get when we talk about the first episode that we're going to talk about today, which is uh, Red Museum, which aired on December the 9th, 1994, written by Chris Carter and directed by uh, Wynne Phelps, um, which is the 10th episode of the second season. It's an interesting episode because it is in some ways, it's a sort of mythology episode, but it's not really a mythology episode sort of coming off the Scully abduction. So, I mean, what, what are your impressions? What do you make of, of Red Museum? I've heard and read a lot of people over the years say, oh, you know, Red Museum is confusing, you know, it's, it's convoluted. Two points I want to make here. First of all, it, it really isn't, if you understand the through line. I mean, the story is about this town was singled out to test alien DNA injections on children and also in, in beef cattle. Like Scully says in the voiceover at the end, I mean, they use this cult as a control group. So the all the twists cult that, who don't eat meat, for example. The, yes. And and what, what ends up happening is that there's a, a pedophile who's involved in this conspiracy who has a sort of a twinge of conscience. And he's trying without exposing himself to alert people to what is happening with these kids because there's all this violence in the high school with the, the rapes and the things like that. So it is, there's a lot of moving parts here. There are a lot of things sort of going on, but it's very true to life. This entire episode is all based on things that really happened in the United States, maybe still be happening. Um, you know, human experimentation, you know, organized pedophile rings, um, even the mundane stuff like the beef, the beef injections and the, the protein regulations. The beef injections, that yes. of food, that sort of stuff. It, well, that's very much an ongoing concern. Um, the use of uh, cults as intelligence fronts. Chris Carter sort of working off a different data set than I think some of the fans might be necessarily cognizant of. So he's taking information that he's reading in the, in the mainstream press, uh, in the alternative press, in the underground press. Um, he's taking all these themes, some of which were really starting to bubble up at that time, the whole thing with uh, radiation experiments on pregnant women, on uh, children, people in hospitals, the elderly, 
uh, drug drug experimentations, all these things that were really going on. I mean, all this this to me is like the most reality based uh, episode of the X Files, probably of all. I mean. None of this stuff, except, you know, the whole idea of when Mulder says, oh, alien DNA. But Scully sort of countermands that by saying, you know, that was never proven. What I've tried to stress about the X-Files is that it's based on point of view storytelling. So you're never actually sure what is going on because everything you're seeing is meant to be seen from somebody's point of view, you know, through somebody's biases, through somebody's, you know, prejudices, through somebody's, you know, experience. So when we hear this whole thing about alien DNA, which is really the only science fictional element in this entire episode, it may not necessarily, that just might be Mulder's belief. I mean, he's just sort of flying off the handle. You know, maybe in the real world, it's, it's just some messed up genetic engineering experiment. So I am fascinated by this episode. There was, um, it was originally meant to be a crossover with a show. A Dave yeah, which would have been a horrible idea. First of all, I, I apologize to anybody who liked the show, but I thought it was horrible. And I just think the blending of those flavors, it would be like sort of like vanilla ice cream with, you know, absinthe. It just sounds good in theory, but probably you'd end up just throwing up, you know, if you actually consume the two in combination. It just it just doesn't work. Um, so I'm really happy that that didn't happen. But I mean, like I said, I mean, this episode this is reality-based uh, conspiracy. I mean, this is the kind of thing that you would see like in the 70s. Well, like the parallax view or that, that sort of thing as well. Like exactly. It's, uh, it's that, that kind of storytelling that, you know, we once saw and sort of dried up, you know. I, I would be of the mindset, like I don't think, I think you're right that it's not as complicated as most fans make it out. Uh, but my sort of, my issue with it is that I, th I think you're right when you say that there's, there's, perhaps too many moving parts uh, in terms of like a story but one of the things i like about it is that it's it's this sort of smorgasbord of things that you can tell that carter is sort of interested in and you mentioned the sort of the conspiracy aspect stuff but even the the broad social themes like for example the the idea of this small town that's that's you know that's you know this middle american small town this quirky space like like twin peaks and like picket fences but this idea of, of a space that has been enclosed and then you have like first of all you have the church of the red museum coming in which represents they sort of reminds the stories you'd hear in the early 90s about like immigrants coming in who were vegetarians you know like uh, hindu immigrants and that sort of stuff uh, east asian immigrants and that sort of stuff who would present a challenge to these communities but also even when they they have the farmer who's talking to them about like he it used to be that his father could raise a couple of cows on there and milk them and and, and sell them as meat but now everything has to be industrialized there's no way that he can compete with that level of sort of production and capitalism and sort of product and sort of churn and i mean even the idea that that's brought up repeatedly you mentioned it there with the, like the rapes in the school and the violence and the kids and stuff like that that carter in, in his work he, he he tends to come back to this idea of like evil as a corrupting force but the idea that the world like there's a, a weird nostalgia i think to the way that the x-files sort of looks at small towns in some respects and to to small communities and i think that like Red Museum sort of touches on on some of that, in, and at the same time, you're you're right about like the pedophile rings and stuff like that, because it suggests that maybe the veneer of the small town isn't as idyllic as it initially seems. Like because it, you obviously you have the peeping tom who's been making videos of the little boys. It, it it's great that this show is able to get that past the radar, because it, it's very hard to imagine the '90s having a show that could get something that could make it very clear that this guy is a pedophile, basically, because that was sort of the thing you couldn't talk about on. 
on television, on primetime television. But you have this sort of sense of something evil lurking beneath this this very American, very like relaxing, very sort of like idealized community. And I, I really like that aspect of Red Museum. I totally agree with you. And, and this sort of plays into Carter's, I think his upbringing was a lot more troubled than he lets on. And I think he doesn't necessarily like to share it. And if you read between the lines, you, you sort of get the sense you know, problems, you know, particularly problems that he had with his parents. I mean, he was living in the Long, Long Beach area, um, which was experiencing deindustrialization at the time. So he has like a nostalgia for the way he saw the world before he realized that it wasn't the way he saw it, if that makes sense. And he has this nostalgia, maybe for a world that he, he never actually lived in, that he read about but actually never really existed. And and this is very common. I mean, I, I experience this in my own life. I mean, you know, the town I grew up in, you wouldn't believe some of the things that went on that 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 maybe most people weren't even aware of. Um, or were willfully blind to, you know. Um, or willfully blind to. Um, it's more common than people realize that corruption, particularly in small towns, when it's easy to, for, you know, corrupt men to get together and and take over a community. This is the kind of thing that this idealization of like small town values and, you know, Americana and the Rust Belt and the, you know, the Middle West, these things really are not reality based. They're based on an illusion uh, that was created, but isn't necessary. And I think Carter at this point in his life is, is beginning to understand that. And I think this is what drives so much of the X-Files is that him, him, processing this idea that these idyllic communities are just fronts for something much deeper. I mean, and this might be something that he gets from Lynch. I mean, this is something that Lynch uh, really put across in, in Blue Velvet. Um, there's one point I want to make here, because this is a really interesting historical aside here. The Red Museum is actually, and, and this is a, a, a through line that, that sort of pops up on, in other seasons. But the, the Red Museum is based on a, uh, a cult that was based in France and Canada called the Order of the Solar Temple. And the Order of Solar Temple was uh, very notorious for these mass suicides. And I, I think the Church of the Seven Stars in the fourth season is, is based on this as well. But there's an interesting uh, historical footnote. So Carter is clearly basing the Church of the Red Museum on the Order of the Solar Temple. But at the same time, Marshall Applewhite and the Heaven's Gate cult, who became notorious a few years later, watched Red Museum and the whole idea of the walk-ins and the second souls and the first bodies and things like that. And they said, wait a minute. OK, that's us. They completely rewrote their entire theology around. Yeah, theology and cosmology around Red Museum, I, because they watched that episode because they were sort of struggling and trying to figure out, you know, why aren't the UFOs landing, blah, 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 blah. And then they realize, like, oh wait, we are we are the aliens. We are aliens inhabiting human bodies. And and you know, the X Files is 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 telling us that they're giving us this message. Unfortunately, it had very unfortunate consequences. But this is this is where we are. You know, this is where we are now. That the bleed over between pop culture and consensus reality is is really starting to. I mean, we have a a reality show host 
as president now. I mean, you know, it's the, the lines of demarcation are, are, are definitely dissolving at this point in time between reality and non-reality. Yeah, there, there is no like people can't agree on, on what's real and what's not anymore. It's 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 terrifying. And, and it's interesting to watch the exiles of the cultural artifacts. Sorry, I feel like we're going on tangents upon tangents, but th- it's a testament to how interesting the episode is. But like that you get this level of abstraction almost you can see it like the x-files in some respects feels like you're watching like carter deal with that and process with that and sort of pull it apart like you can almost see the unboxing of of reality like through the prism of sort of 70s paranoia that will lead to where we are now which is you know 20 years before you had the 70s then you have the 90s and then 20 years later you have roughly where we are now and you can sort of see the X-Files as sort of a point in that journey to away from what you call consensus reality towards this sort of weird reality TV show that we seem to be living in. Well, it, people were commenting on this in the 70s, by the way. I mean, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. like the, the show, uh, the, the film network or being there. This process was is, is not novel to the 90s is what I'm trying to say. I mean, this was already, I mean, Marshall McLuhan. I mean, these are things that with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We're already starting to maybe in a more rarefied and intellectual fashion. But now, you know, we're sort of getting the the hand-me-down version of it now. But, you know, the thing, the thing, I, I know that, you know, yourself, Carl, Tony, and I, and others, I mean, we sort of appreciate Chris Carter's writing more than I think a lot of other fans do. And I think that's a byproduct of the fact that I think he maybe injects more, you know, thematic elements and, and real world elements and, and things of that nature into his scripts than say you might see like in DPO or in, you know, yeah, then say narrative or, or like, I mean, the, the, the stop criticisms, I think of Carter's scripts are, are perhaps that, you know, his dialogue is perhaps a little sort of purple prosy, which I, I think works very well in some cases, or that, you know, his narratives aren't necessarily perfectly like outlined and sort of like point by point linear and easier to follow. What I like about Carter, I think you're right, is that he's just, a, he's a brilliant thematic writer and he's very good at like, He's got this, it's like a blender. Carter's writing seems to be like a blender where he puts all of his fears, all of his anxieties, all of his concerns, all the things that interest him into it. And he sort of just whooshes them around and lets them bounce off one another. And the results are always fascinating, I would argue, but are occasionally like, well, more than occasionally are like sublime. And I, I would sort of mark this episode in the latter category. Um, it is incredibly complex, but... It works, particularly if you're aware with the source material. And in some ways, it's sort of like the last one of the last episodes where you really got clean dialogue from Carter, where you got naturalistic dialogue from him. And I think with the introduction of the syndicate and as we sort of move on into that next phase of the series, the writing tends to be a little bit more self-conscious, a little bit more abstract. almost. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 it reads more like an editorial sometimes than 
human speech, it, it tends to be, and I, I think this is a point where he goes, all right, um, I, I exhausted the Kolchak, the Night Stalker inspiration. And now I'm going to move forward, you know, with my all the president's men <laughs> type of inspirations. And yeah, this is a statement of theme. This is a statement of purpose. This is, you know, this is exposition almost, but it's it's thematic exposition rather than, you know, dialogue. His best naturalistic dialogue writing, let's say, I think is in that first, uh, you know, 30 episodes or so, that batch. But anyway, so that's how I feel about Redney's Hand. All right, so having talked about Red Museum, what are your feelings on Excelsi Day? which was the 11th episode of the 10th season, unsurprisingly coming after the 10th, uh, directed by Stephen Sergic, written by Paul Brown, um, and originally aired on December the 16th, 1994. So right before Christmas, a nice big treat. Well, this I think this is one of the reasons why Paul Brown left the show, because apparently the script came in and it was unproducible and it had to be rewritten. And from you know what I've been told, I mean, Cardo was actually writing scenes for this episode just before they needed to be shot that this was a real rescue operation salvage operation you know they were really flying by the seat of their pants here and um you sort of get the sense um if you if you understand that that this started off as one thing and then became a chris carter script it makes a lot more sense to you because here we see the hallucinogens which we just saw you know the episode before in Red Museum, uh, you know, that theme uh, popping up again, and of course, would show up with a little less dramatic impact in uh, the 10th the, the season. But anyhow. Well, I mean, well, one of the things actually that like you're writing, like, like I mentioned at the start, I'm a huge fan of your writing. And one of the things about your, your writing that really grabbed me, like that really sort of like maybe opened my eyes to the X-Files and go, how the hell did I miss something so obvious? Is the fact that you point out that hallucin uh, hallucinogens are this big recurring theme that sort of run throughout the show to the point where, like when you talk about Babylon, when you talk about the 10th the season, like penultimate episode, that's a recur. I never would have twisted this but you pointed out on the secret sun that basically it's a recurring motif where you have the penultimate episode of the season dealing with these out-of-body hallucinogenic experiences and i think like that's that's phenomenal like that is a big core x-files theme that many people myself included would never have picked up on well thank you very much i appreciate that i'm glad you know you have picked up on that uh it certainly is a recurrent motif throughout the uh, series and the, you know the other thing i pointed out is how they would twin a standalone dealing with hallucinogens with a mythology episode. You know, it's, it's a very subtle uh, suggestion, inference that really it's all about, you know, the same, it's all about the same phenomena. Carter uh, was a surfer in Southern California. I don't know if I need to elaborate on that, but... Um, <laughs> I, I... For the purposes of our lawyers, we, we probably won't ask you to, but... Um... Yeah, I mean, hallucinogens were basically, uh, you know, the staff of life to, uh, you know, to, to, to that subculture. I mean, this is, he's growing up in the, the post-hippie era, the post, you know, the post-60s era, but acid and mushrooms, you know, angel dust, I mean, you name it. And, and you know, they're, they're less remarked upon, they're less a news story, but 
they've gone from these sort of enclaves in Los Angeles and San Francisco and New York and London to basically, you know, all over the entire country to pretty disastrous effect in, 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 in very many cases. But it goes from the sort of elite bohemian, you know, interest to something that high school kids were doing. So he's growing up at the time where you have the hangover from the 60s, you have the, the disillusionment, you have the, the Watergate era. I mean, it's kind of grim. And hallucinogens are basically everywhere. So you can look at the X-Files not only as sort of a chronicle of late boomers, early Gen X, uh, and, and their response to these social convulsions, the social and political convulsions, but you can also see it almost as like a time capsule of the the influences on that that cohort. I mean, Carter's sort of the advance guard. I mean, 56, I mean, it's a little early, you know, if this cohort I'm talking about, but it's influenced by the same thing. I mean, where you see like, you know, uh, X songs or, you know, Black Flag songs show up in, in Millennium. I mean, just these kind of influences. So I'm talking about this cohort of, of late boomers, early Gen Xers that are really coming to their own uh, in the early 90s. But, you know, straddling that period is is Dwight D. Eisenhower's famous military-industrial complex speech. Warns about the next 50 yeah, years. Yeah, he tells you exactly what... The, and if you watch him, if you look at his demeanor and his expression, that is not a man who has a, a great deal of optimism or hope for what's coming down the pike. And then, you know, you see the, the National Security Act and you see that, you know, the, the creation of the CIA... And then you see, uh, you know, all the mind control programs, MK Search, Artichoke, uh, MK Ultra, uh, Bluebird. I mean, just a series of one after another, you know, of human experimentations, experiments in mental hospitals. I mean, well, prisoners, even on, on non-consenting adults, radiation trials, for example, like that sort of stuff. But that, that's the striking thing about the X-Files is that so much of it actually happened and not like in a conspiracy tinfoil hat sort of like crazy way in like an actual documented proof release you know like actual release government papers explaining that you did these experiments with lsd on people you actually smuggled nazis across you tried to do remote viewing like it's objectively verifiable like and and even the more outlandish stuff if you stripped out the aliens a lot of the stuff in the x-files is like a reflection of america after the second world war that's exactly right and with these uh, these mind control programs, and the reason why there's a reason why you have this this subplot with um, you know drug trials on the elderly, and you know the elderly consuming hallucinogenic mushrooms and things like this, because these things really happen. They're documented. They're recorded. This is accepted history. I mean, you can go onto the uh, CIA's website and and read about all this stuff for yourself if you don't believe it. But they seem to really like. Uh, nursing homes, mental hospitals, uh, state schools for, you know, mentally handicapped kids. What I believe we're seeing in Excelsis DEI is the second part of Red Museum, because these MKUltra uh, mind control experiments, you know, where people were given massive doses of LSD, they happened in Worcester, where this, where Excelsis DEI is set. I mean, they happened all over the country, but they happened in Worcester. There, there were two. There were actually two separate institutions in Worcester that were carrying out these you know, experiments. It was the uh, Worcester State Hospital and the, um, I forget the exact name, of it. it was like the Worcester Institute for Public Health. This stuff really happened. So I think what Carter is doing is that he's got this 
dumb ghost story that takes place in a nursing home. And he's like, this is weak. I, I seem to remember that um, that Morgan and Wong especially hated the original script um, and it, like it had to be rewritten. So in order to sort of tie it into the, the X-Files milieu, the X-Files universe, I mean, Carter is dipping back into the same well that he had just dipped into with Red Museum and doing so with uh, Excelsior DA. And I think that the, the interesting uh, factor that sort of conjoins these two episodes besides this real life, uh, really bad, uh, you know, real life Nazi experiments that took place in the United States is this whole idea that, you know, the salvage job. So like when Carter is under the gun and he's sort of put to the test. Well, you grab whatever's to hand. Like, I mean, this is the thing about TV production is that you have to have a page in front of the actors because you can't hold a production. So like you were talking about like this situation being where you're writing it and literally sending it down to the actors to perform on the morning in question. When you're writing that, you're pretty much you're, you're pretty much automatic writing at that stage. It's just like whatever's in my head is coming out on the page. Yeah, that's what you know. That's what I'm saying. It's like when he's under the gun and he's got to produce. I mean, this is where his head goes to, which I find you know a sort of a fascinating, you know, uh, character facet of Chris. Carter. All right. Well, with with that in mind, then I think we're sort of wrapped up on these two episodes. But but Chris, just in case people are are listening and want to find you, well, first of all, you you wrote the the complete X Files, and I believe that that is also get, that got a re release yes, recently as well. Yes, it did. So perfect. You can check that out on on Amazon or wherever good books are sold, really. But I mean, if if people want to check you out on, um, just go to uh, secretsun.blogspot.com. Perfect. You can find me online at the, at the movie blog. Um, I host a, pod, a movie podcast in 50, and I also have my own X-Files book, which, to be honest, is, is very much indebted to Chris's work, so you could probably get it. <laughs> uh, with a bit of luck, myself and Chris will be back at some point in the, in the near or, or not-too-distant future to talk about another couple of episodes. Uh, but until then, remember, trust no one. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.